You are listening to Beyond the Verse, a Star Citizen podcast. A show dedicated to Cloud Imperium games, Star Citizen and Squadron 42. Whether you fight, explore, unite, and or trade, we bring you news, updates, interviews, reviews, and analysis. So sit back, relax, grab yourself a pour of Radagast, and join us as we go Beyond the Verse. Launch sequence activated. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Beyond the Verse, Star Citizen podcast with your host, Solus. This is episode 16 that we're calling Inception Celebration. I, I couldn't just do the Foundation Festival. I, I couldn't just repeat what the game is doing doing so i came up with two synonyms uh to get us there so here we are (laughs) and it's kind of a different feeling podcast so um we're not live i had a couple of uh family dynamics of of kids having stomach bugs and school running late and etc you know parenting things Um, and then also uh, a lot of work dynamics as well. So as many of you know, I work for Amazon, specifically the Amazon business arm uh, of Amazon. And next week is uh, Prime Day. <laughs> so uh, July 11th and 12th is Prime Day. So we are uh, hot and heavy. We're very, very, very busy. Uh, but this is not a podcast about my personal and work life. <laughs> but I do will say that this is a uh, a good time for an announcement for next week. Um, I will not be doing episode 17 next week. It's way too many moving parts going back and forth between Austin, Texas and Seattle. Um, obviously focused on what's happening with the larger picture. But we will be back again the following week for episode 17. So Thank you so much for your understanding in advance. Let's get into this week in Beyond the Verse. So we're going to go back to Friday, the day after uh, the last episode, when they dropped the Jump Point 1103, uh, the June 2023 edition. So this is uh, fairly new, but CIG made the decision, the operational decision, to break up their cadence for Jump Points. It was at a time like every month Um, but obviously the quality of the jump points uh, first off are amazing secondly it takes a lot of bandwidth a lot of man hours a lot of publication and editorial so i personally can understand them focusing on other things um, rather than trying to produce a pdf you know every month so we will go through that and i'm actually going to shuffle that up and move that to the end of the podcast and then we're going to get into obviously on monday this week in star citizens kind of announcements wednesday we had a subscriber flare publish we have star citizen monthly report and then today we had the foundation festival release and there's a lot of articles about the foundation festival So we'll get into all of that. No lore deep dive today. Uh, Again, as we get into the transition, you will expect a lore deep dive in episode 17 and beyond. Uh, But I think there's enough to cover about the Foundation Festival um, and the jump point that will pretty much take us all the way through the hour 
So let's go ahead and get into it. I don't want to belabor this too much. Let's get into this week in Star Citizen. I'll go ahead and share my screen, but this is what you could have expected from, what is this, week 27? if you're uh, into that sort of thing. <laughs> so here we go. Happy Monday, everyone. Um, some pictures of the Bar Citizens. We celebrated that last episode, but here we go. What's going on this week? Wednesday has our monthly reports for June coming your way with Star Citizens as a comm link and Squadron 42's via newsletter. Subscribers will also be receiving the July subscriber comm link and newsletter. Foundation Festival begins this Thursday. Our annual focus on helping new players get their space legs begins with a wealth of new content, a tutorial contest, which is already underway, and a free fly and much more. Uh, spoiler alert, I don't really see the wealth of new content. It actually feels like a copy and paste of last year, but we'll get into that. I, I will uh, account for what I just said, <laughs> but stay tuned. This Friday, Star Citizen Live returns with our previously scheduled game production episode with Jake Ross, starting at 8 a.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. UTC on our Twitch channel. You'll also find our weekly RSI newsletter directly delivered to your inbox. On Saturday, the community team is making their way to Paris, France. Oh, darn. Must be nice. Uh, for our next stop on the Bar Citizen World Tour. Check out the Bar Citizen com link for details. May your heart be your guiding key. Jake Bradley, Community Manager. Uh, here we go. And by the way, Jake, if you're listening, buddy, uh, I know on Twitter you were vocal about some personal things going on. I just want to publicly say that we're here. We're here for you. We're here with you. Um, and I uh, hope everything in your personal life gets situated. All right, let's go. So here we go. Monday, this week in Star Citizen. Wednesday, uh, well, we just went all through all this. So probably don't need to repeat myself. Um, let's get into the subscriber flare. Okay. So I had this like, uh, first off, on my socials, uh, on our socials, what I try to do during all the subscription promotions is I try to make it look all sexy and I pull out the image that gets shared, you know, from CIG and I put, you know, Centurion and the Imperator and the store item and kind of what you get for each month. Um, I was going to make a kind of a joke out of like what was available. So I'm gonna share my screen. But if you're on my socials, you've already seen this before. But it's uh it's, it's coffee mugs. So so I was going to uh, I was gonna do this whole thing like uh you know the community is crying for the Kraken, for the Idris, the Bonnie Merchant Man, but no. No, you get to drink out of a star kitten mug inside of an Aegis hammerhead. Um, <laughs> making light of, of kind of the whole situation, but I do, uh, I, I did pacify that. I didn't create a video. I didn't create a social media, um, uh, but I do want to call out the, the idea that I wanted to only because it is a reminder that CIG can walk and chew gum at the same time. They can continue work on capital ships, on Pyro, on CitizenCon, and at the same time, they can have fun and create subscriber flair that's worth $10 a month, right? Keep in mind, the stuff that you're getting is $10 a month. So you got three mugs, you have the Aegis Hammerhead. It's, it's actually a pretty sweet deal um, that everybody gets to fly in 
and a pretty awesome ship. The Hammerhead is is a pretty solid ship. So here we go. July 2023 uh, subscriber promotions. The Finley the Stormwall mug. Made from the durable stoneware, this fanciful mug features Finley's iconic grin and inquisitive eyes. It's sure to keep your beverage warm and bring your smile to your face. Current Centurion. Star Kitten Mug. The cuteness can't be contained, but hot beverages can within this Star Kitten Mug. Personally designed by the show's legendary creator, Gennady Kuzo, it features an extra large handle that makes it easy to hold and is constructed with an ultra durable ceramic. Um, so its adorableness remains eternal. <clears throat> Big Benny's Mug. You can get this from the store, by the way. This playful Big Benny mug features the brand's iconic mascot. Its unique dual layer design features a chip and fate proof ceramic, uh, ceramic, wow, that feels comfortable in the hand with a special plastic coating on the lip and handle to ensure it's never too hot to touch. So there you have it. Um, drinking is not really a thing in this game. No, well, that's, that's kind of a lie. Um, you can drink to stay hydrated and for the health benefits, obviously. But like if you're flying around in your 325 Alpha, you're not going to be able to utilize those coffee machines and drink out of the mugs and partake in the whiskey and beer that you see on your Constellation Phoenix. Like that type of drinking is not in the game. So yet. So when I look at these mugs, I'm like, cool. I mean, it's a cool FPS item that's going to go in your hanger. I doubt people are going to really pull it out after a couple of days um, of messing with it. But I don't want to belittle the work that CIG has done. It's clever. It is quote unquote cute. Um, I can see it appealing to certain audiences. I'm not going to be spending the additional money on the store item this year or this month, but um, maybe this fits what you want to spend your money on. <laughs> um, going down to the Aegis, uh, the Aegis Hammerhead. So I personally have like three of them right now. That is not a weird flex. It's just, this seems like the loner ship that goes to all large vehicles. So I've got three in the hangar. This is going to be a fourth one. Um, so for those of us concierge members that have invested in those larger ships, okay, not a big deal. However, take my brother, for instance, who's just barely as of a couple of days ago, a concierge member, which congratulations, by the way, buddy. Uh, he can now get in an Aegis Hammerhead and fly around and see what it's like to dock. Uh, that's a whole game loop, or eh, I wouldn't say game loop. It's a whole dynamic of flying that not a lot of people have experience with. Like right now, it's only really the two ships. It's the Hammerhead and it's the 890 Jump. If you don't have either of those two, you're not really having to dock, and that's that's kind of a that's kind of a sad miss uh, that I hope I see more of down the road. I would love to be able to dock these these other ships. A 400i has a docking collar, right? So I would love to be able to see some of this kind of expand and grow. But here you go, Aegis Hammerhead. It's a phenomenal gunship. Um, I think there's like, what, six turrets? Just in this picture alone, you've got the, uh, the front of the ship, starboard and port, the back of the ship, starboard port. You've got under, kind of behind where the... Um, garage is and i think there's even one on top i think there's at least six turrets but it's a huge huge gunship go have fun with it go fly it around i actually like using it on um on some basic missions like bunker missions where i i again i land a click away and i drive a ground vehicle up but it's just something kind of fun to do landing a massive hammerhead um, and the paint jobs on them are pretty sick like if you get um 
was it the foundation festival from last year there's a couple of event paints my mind is blinking i have to go to my hanger to find out but um there's a couple of paints that just look really 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 good on the hammerhead so there you go there's also some subscriber merchandise discounts i everything i want is sold out <laughs> so um everything i've tried to ever get uh seems to be sold out either in my size or in a total availability so a little bit of a bummer there but not a bad month again i i started this whole conversation off in jest um i personally am not excited about coffee mugs but i can see the role play value i can see where you know these quote-unquote collectibles will be kind of fun to put in your hangar or in your ship um just to have like that flair um in the game so not going to keep dogging it i think it's a pretty cool month uh subscriber flares so <clears throat> later on in the week we did have uh the star citizen monthly report and i keep kind of going back and forth with this um the whole point of a podcast and i'm going to bring like eight years of podcasting uh to, to the table here to kind of like explain what this is not to insult intelligence but there are many content creators that stream and there's better personalities that stream you can go watch a doctor disrespect and get some really good entertainment out of that and you can watch them play a game or you could actually yourself get into a game that's the part of me as a content creator that has a complete disconnect i can't imagine watching somebody play a game when i could just jump in the game and play it instead like why watch somebody else play it so for me i've always gone towards or gravitated towards somebody who was producing something new so beyond just a personality to watch that's kind of funny i like watching a content creator that produces new content or provides and this is where i think this sh this show comes in provides another avenue to get the information so i purposefully set out on this endeavor um, to create a podcast platform where you're working out in the mornings you're driving your vehicle um, you're at school heck you're at work and you want background noise i'm trying to bring you an entire week's worth of information um, to your experience or to your star citizen experience so I will go through as much as I can out of the monthly report. I'll even go through as much as I can out of the jump point because again, my assumption if you're listening to this podcast is you're 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 wanting the information and you might not have been able to go through the PDFs yourself. And again, I'll add color. Um, I do have a couple of years of gaming industry experience and I will add that color to it. But I'm also just a fanatic of the game. I love the lore. So anything story based or any of my fun stories that I've had with my organization, I want to share it with you. And it's going to be additional color to a monthly report that might otherwise be a little bit boring to read. So I've said it again. That's probably my last time I preface <laughs> reading a monthly report to y'all. Because um, again, I think it's I think there's value in this. So if you're on YouTube's replay, let's get into the screen share and we will get into the monthly report on podcast. Here we go. All right, so I did the whole thing, uh, like the 10 pages. It's actually 11 pages worth of notes, which you can see on YouTube that I'm kind of holding up now. Here we go. So front and back, about five pages. So what is that, 10, 10, 11 pages? Um, the two things I wanted to asterisk 
Uh, there's a lot of progress on Pyro. And let me just, I'll, I'll do another preface. Here, I'm going to go off. <laughs> Look at me. I'm making a prediction, and you're hearing it and seeing it from me first. Citizen Con. The first time we've had a Citizen Con in several years. A lot of hype, right? Uh, very expensive tickets. Um, I want to make a prediction that on Citizen Con, we will have the release of Pyro 4.0, either on Citizen Con or within Q4. And we will also receive the release data squadron 42. You heard it here first, hold me accountable, but I'm pretty damn sure they're getting close to some of those massive date releases. So let's get to the release. Again, a lot of pyro described, or a lot of uh, pyro updates we'll cover. And then the second one I wanted to asterisk um, were the two gangs. So right now in Stanton, we've got the Xeno Threat and Ninetales. Those are your two gangs that you're mostly involved with and you're dealing with, uh, which there's going to be some changes to Xeno Threat, which is kind of exciting in this report. But in pyro, it looks like you're going to have the Dusters and the Headhunters. Right, so those are your two gangs going into Pyro, into 4.0. So a lot of movement there as well. <clears throat> the rest of it, I'm again, I highlighted for some pretty cool uh, commentary, but um, it's really nothing surprising. So let's get to it. The first one is AI tech. It's artificial intelligence technology. Last month, the AI tech finalized their work on dynamic pathfinding regeneration. As mentioned in previous reports, this feature allows dynamic paths to detect when a navigation mesh is modified and check whether it's still valid or if a new path request is needed. When a new dynamic path is requested, the pathing component creates and stores navigation anchors. These anchors notify the pathing component each time the mesh changes, which then checks through navigation raycasts to see if the path is still valid. If not, the last part of the path is recomputed. Next, the team continued developing a feature to allow NPCs to enter and exit a ship's airlock from EVA break. This is nothing new. We've heard this for several uh, reports now, but they're continuing to work on NPCs coming in and out of EVA. For this, they had to consider cases when a ship or space station is moving or slightly rotating. They're currently working on a scenario for transitioning from a ship with gravity to zero-g by vaulting over a ledge. For tools, AI tech continued improving and extending functionality for Apollo subsumption, including adding two new windows for the task archetypes and variable type editors. This will allow the team to better visualize and modify archetypes and variables. The other AI tool, the Usable Group Coordinator, received improvements too, as well. This included a minor flow refractor, refactor, to reduce the performance impact from bad setups and to more clearly notify the, the designers what's wrong. Last month, AI Tech also supported existing features and the upcoming release builds. For navigation links, they created new flow graph nodes that allow the designers to disable and re-enable navigation links for a platform or object container. For example, this will enable NPCs to use moving platforms. So that's the end of AI tech. I, I, um, <clears throat> I, I feel like AI is very underrated or undervalued. 
Um, well, a lot of times when you talk about a game, you you judge the game's AI. Oh, the AI is easy, they're smart, or the AI is you know hard. Um, but it doesn't really get a lot of attention. The work being done on artificial intelligence kind of relieves the developers for having to manually uh, and deliberately produce something, right? If you can create the intelligence to be dynamic, to be able to make their own decisions or follow a quote unquote dynamic path, that's less that a developer needs to focus on. If this, then that. If this condition or this environment meets XYZ standards or variables, then this will produce or this will be what is yielded. So any improvement or advancement in the AI tech, it frees up resources, it frees up developers, but it's also something fun and exciting for the player when you see these NPCs using moving platforms. So. Again, I feel like it's underrated. I, I don't feel like it gets a lot of love uh, as much as it probably deserves. Let's move on to animation. Last month, the animation team worked on facial animations for a new character set. They also progressed with their ongoing work on Boids, which relate to animals flying in flocks or swarms. Break. So the flocks and swarms, I, I, I think that's great. I, I have, um, in fact, the picture that I used for this YouTube thumbnail was done on Hurston. And I was approaching a bunker and there was a beautiful sunset. And I remember in that moment, because you're kind of walking through cacti, I remember in that moment how fun it would be to see like an alien bird kind of perched on top of the cactus. Now, I say that coming from a Texan, like from a Texas like background. Uh, I expect to see cactus with like a bird perched. Um, but like that crossed my mind and not just one bird, but like a flock of birds having life in the environment beyond just the Vandul or the Tavarin kind of walking around and existing around us. How awesome would it be to see other life in other reports? We've read about fish. We've read about, you know, um, I think dogs was mentioned, dogs or cats were mentioned. And now we've got these flocks of birds and swarms. So I like the idea. I love the idea of the world being populated in this way. Back to the report. Art, characters. In June, the character art team continued working on the Dusters and Headhunters gangs, creating new outfits for the former and polishing existing items for the latter. Along this, the character concept art team began the exploration phase for a new Headhunters gang member and prepared handoff sheets for additional Dusters outfits. So there you go. I I'm actually, um, I think the word tired is inappropriate. I, I don't think I'm tired of seeing all the purple, like the, the, the purple lights on the, uh, on the Ninetales armor. Um, but I, I can't wait to see something new, right? Refresh or to freshen up the gaming experience. Because right now that's basically all we're seeing is, is, is the same kind of light green, light blue, purple color scheme. So I would love to see something different. Here we go. Back to the article. Art, ships. The Tumbral Storm is nearing the end of the LOD Zero stage. Break. So... <clears throat> Gaming industry, LOD, is the uh, level of detail. And the lower the number, the more close the perceiver is. So if you are at a LOD, a level of detail zero, you're face to face with it. 
how much detail, like how much texture uh, are you seeing when you're right up against. Now in some gaming industries or in some teams, I've heard it called Lodo. Um, like Lodo, and I've said it a couple of podcasts ago. So Lodo, Lodol, L-O-D-1, um, Loads, L-O-D-2. I've heard it kind of like said in that vernacular, but L-O-D is level of detail. Back to the article. With some areas approaching final content, materials were also published, internal damage was built, and most LODs were created. The team are currently undertaking customization work and will move on to UV2 projections in July. UV2. This is basically taking a 3D model and applying a 2D kind of rendering um, for the for the item or for the uh, for the object. So there you go. Oh, and this word I can't say. Um, following last month's report, the Opoa Santok Yai is awaiting its second gray box gate review pass. If you remember, it failed a couple of reviews ago. Um, and actually, the next sentence is a quote. It failed the first time around due to a missing dashboard implementation plan. We have now created a dashboard and generated the bulk of the art for it. We simply need to make it past the gate and we will be officially in LOD zero stage ship art team. So there you go. The Santakiai's cockpit also received a polished pass before the team moved on to the rest of the ship. Ship art then worked with narrative on the Xi'an language translation, which will appear in the ship's UI and character inner thought systems. I, I actually love... Um, I love the idea that the cockpits are also like different. If it's a Xion ship or if it's a Banu ship, um, heck, if it's if it's the, uh, the 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 Mariah Fury, right? Like you have a whole different experience when you get into that cockpit. That's the level of detail that you're getting with something like Star Citizen. So keep it up. I will read a hundred more <laughs> of these uh, of these monthly reports if it means unique and very, very particular experiences. Community, one of my favorite uh, subjects. And actually, as we move on, let me just kind of take a look at my notes. Throwing the paper away. Here we go. <laughs> the community team celebrated Pride Month throughout the June uh, by bringing back the Show Us Your Color celebration, which received a huge number of impressive entries. Visit this year's submission comic for a wealth of community creativity. The team then supported Alien Week 2953, which starred a Banu ship Soli's human-focused advert. During the event, players were invited to explore alien lore and spaceships and enter the Alien Encounter screenshot contest. The community Xenolinguists also deciphered a Banu language message containing secrets of the mysterious Tholo, which we covered in episode 15. Quote, the first opportunity to get a hold of a digital Banu Tholo was at the International Bar Citizen Weekend. Yours truly secured one here in Austin. It was awesome. Where we handed them out as code cards to every guest. We loved meeting so many of you this weekend as we hosted an afternoon of Star Citizen near our studios in Los Angeles, Austin, Montreal, Manchester, and Frankfurt. And quote the community team. And again, I'm on nerd out. Uh, I am right there. <laughs> so there's a picture of the International Bar Citizen Weekend 2023, and the top center photo is Austin, and my goofy mug is like sort of right in the middle. So, uh, 
claim to fame i am in the background of a picture somewhere <laughs> june saw the continuation of the bar citizen world tour with members of the star citizen team traveling to asia to visit players in shanghai and hong kong and incheon in korea um okay so by the way there was this amazing model uh, it's like 600 meters 12 feet long of the retribution so in the Lord deep dive last week, we covered uh, Operation Mandrake and how it was one in due part of the amazingness or the, the capability of the retribution. Um, and they had a model of it and it's, it is, it is sick. Uh, and, and, and culturally that's a good thing. <laughs> Don't know if anybody else is listening because we're in like 13 countries, uh, but it's sick. It's beautiful. It, it was amazing to see. And they had, uh, they had the engines lit up. Um, so led lighting integrated within the model, just absolutely beautiful quote. Thank you for having us as your guests. It was absolutely amazing to meet more than 1,900 of you in China and Korea. Nice. The team also supported the announcement and ongoing planning of CitizenCon 2953, which is coming to LA, USA on October 21st and 22nd. This included ticket details, an FAQ about the event and location, a guide to LA, and details of how to take part via community booth or this year's cosplay contest. Plus, in preparation of this year's Foundation Festival, Community launched the tutorial contest and invited the player organizations that make the verse a better place with their teamwork to introduce themselves. It's the end of Community. So we did, uh, we'll, we'll go through the Foundation Festival and, and what the tutorial contest uh, is and, and the free items that the recipient and the guide get. We'll talk about that again. I didn't see anything different, but maybe I'll have an epiphany um, when, when I read these articles in the next couple of minutes. All right, let's go. We're almost three pages in engine in June. The core engine team finished integrating the latest changes to the main development branch. This took a significant effort, but the team managed to stabilize and roll out the many major rewrites that made over the past few months. Additionally, experiments were done on a more cooperative threading model to execute physics code, which should deliver general performance improvements. For generic shapes, all editor side work for regular shapes was finished and is now with the artists for feedback. The next stage is editor support for multiple subsegments to allow the team to build more complex shapes out of primitive subshapes. This is where it just starts going over my head. The Star Build P4K version 2.0 and MEM replay systems received various improvements and new features in preparation for them rolling out to other teams. Core Engine also worked with Physics to provide tech support for the MISC Hole C. So again, tentatively, for 320, we should see the whole C. So it's good to see progress being made on that, on that ship. Back to the article. The physics team supported the game teams with various bug fixes, progressed with cantilever, cantilever beams for the Maelstrom editor, and it investigated solver improvements for driven ragdolls. An IMGUI view was then implemented to allow rapid tweaking of simulation parameters for character-attached cloth so that changes become immediately visible. Regarding team structure, the entity system tech team transferred to the core engine team. And before I read the quote, 
this is good. This is good, right? It's better to merge and share talent that already has the training than it is to onboard brand new talent. It's going to take time. It's going to take resources to onboard an entire team or an additional asset. So this is good. Quote, while their focus will still be on everything related to server meshing, bringing the team over brings the knowledge and ownership of the entity system together, which should allow more efficient communication. End quote. Exactly. So this is good. We're going to see more of this. If CIG knows what they're doing, which I know that they do, <laughs> you're going to see a lot more merging, a lot more information sharing and team expansions, right? Um, you're going to see a lot of absorbing. When one major effort is done, you're going to see that kind of being absorbed by other teams. So this is good. When we see this happen, uh, we want to see more of it, right? <clears throat> Entity System Tech also integrated their recent improvements into the main development branch. They then worked on various spawning time improvements and cost visualizations to allow for further guide loading time optimization. Finally, async entity loading was enabled in the editor for faster startup and improved efficiency. There you go. Let's see what I have on my notes. Anything that we didn't already just read? Nope. I will take the faster startup and I will take the improved efficiency. Like, yeah, we need more of, of, of that. I'll just be honest. We need a lot more stability, just period. Because um, again, we're, we're going through the foundation festival where we're trying to recruit new people, new citizens to get involved. Stability is going to be king in the next couple of weeks. So there you go. All right. Features Arena Commander. This is going to sound like a broken record because we have we have said this so many times at this point. Uh, but Arena Commander is coming out with a lot of new stuff, <laughs> right? In June, the Arena Commander features team focused uh, focus was on polishing and bug fixing for Alpha 3.20. Engineering also completed the new competitive scoring and team balance systems. A small quality of life or factor was done to the flash-based FPS loadout editor. Now game modes automatically supply consumables to the player, allowing the team to simplify the editor to only include armor and weapons. They also continued work on the new spawn screens being introduced to most game modes in Alpha 3.20 before moving on to in-game vehicle selection. Design continued polish passes across various locations, including adjusting security post Korea's control variant based on playtest feedback. For Tank Royale, which I thought it was Tonk Royale. I wonder what the official name is. In the article, it's, it's Tank Royale, but everything I've said, I've read up to this point, it's been Tonk Royale. So anyways. The mode's magda location failed. It's go, no-go due to underwhelming visuals and gameplay. Yes, keep that high bar. Keep the high bar. Absolutely. I, I, I will take a delay in progress any day if it means protecting the integrity of the experience, the graphical experience, the gameplay experience. In response... Design worked on two replacement locations to provide greater variety and more visual interest. Damar and Maya, Lair's second planet, where the good doctor map is set. 
Design then reworked all existing race tracks to utilize the new racing system being developed for release in a future patch. Finally, the team concluded work on three new experimental modes that feature the new flight system, quote, master modes, free flight, dual, and endless vandal swarm. And like I said, I, I will more than likely get into Arena Commander um, in 320. I think obviously that's the biggest effort of 320. I think I think I should get into it. I think my, my org should get into it. We should practice and get better uh, at the gameplay. And what a better way to do it than using Arena Commander. Moving on to the features and characters and weapons. Let's see where I am in my notes. Perfect. In June, the features team began extending item wear to weaponry. This is super interesting. So when I first read this, um, I started getting a little nervous because I, I don't know. Um, <clears throat> what game am I thinking? It's not like cyberpunk. There's a game that I've been playing recently that the weapon. Oh, Zelda. Zelda. So Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, like your weapons last for like five seconds, right? You get into one fight and you're already having to replace your weapon because it breaks so easily. And I think that's overkill. I like the realism. I like the idea that like, okay, you use something a lot, it's going to break. I like the realism, but Zelda overdoes it. They overkill it. When I read this sentence, I got kind of nervous. Again, it says the features team began extending item wear to weaponry. I just don't want them to overdo it. I want to be more engaged in the actual combat and the story than I do about managing inventory, right? So I'm a little bit hesitant to get excited about this. Specifically, back to the article, this means that as a weapon is used, ages, or is kept in poor condition, it will become increasingly worn. For example, if a weapon is used while dirty, it will accumulate wear faster. As a weapon becomes worn, it will become less reliable and may overheat faster and start misfiring. This can cause minor and major, or major, jamming, requiring the user to spend time fixing the malfunction. See, I, I, I don't... Like that's too that's too realistic. I did that in the army, like, and I used really crappy weapons, so I spent more time, you know, unjamming my rifle <laughs> than I cared to admit. Uh, and I don't want to do that in a game, so I'm a little I don't know. I'm gonna slam the brake on this one. The team also looked into a minor rework of the inventory screen. Okay, hell yes. Now you're speaking my language. Fix the inventory screen. Quote, the current inventory screen is great for managing loadout and an inventory storage, but we will have uh, but we have been looking at options for speeding up looting while in combat features team. As part of this, the team experimented with a new UI that remains in first person view, allowing players to assess combat related items and then quickly loot or exchange med pins, ammunition, grenades and weapons. So this has actually happened to me several times. I'll be in a bunker and you know I might have killed six out of the ten um, enemy and I'm on like the bottom floor knowing that I need to still go to the top and I'm like you know let me just loot this body real quick or I absolutely need the ammo I'm running out of ammo and I need to loot this person who also has p4 magazines on them so as I'm looting sure enough an enemy walks by shoots me and I'm dead 
with not a real good way of backing out quickly. Um, and so, yes, I agree. The looting needs to be quicker. If you're arguing simulation, if you're arguing realism, well, in combat, in real life, if I see a magazine, I can literally reach down, pick up the magazine, get into the chamber immediately without, I mean, I can do that in a couple seconds, right? Like we do that, we train and we do that like a couple of seconds and I'm, I'm back into the fight. Um, however, in this game, it's like you have to loot the whole body or you have to like get your hand perfectly on the magazine in order to like just loot that one magazine. So it's easier if you just push F, go all the way down to loot the body. That'll bring up the body's inventory and then you can pull the magazines over one by one. Well, that takes time. So yes, I do agree that this is absolutely something that needs to be addressed. Yes. Features and gameplay. Following the release of Alpha 319.1, the gameplay features team began focusing on upcoming patches. Yes. This included work on the vehicle tractor beams, with relevant vehicles being set up to support the feature. For example, the upcoming Argo SRV, can't wait for that to come out, was tested internally and towed its first ships. The resource network also progressed well. With the team pleased with its current state, they then moved on to supporting resource network relevant features, including engineering and life support. The features mission team, my favorite article. Last month, the mission features were redirected to cargo and pyro-based missions. They're currently developing cargo hauling and ship piracy missions that leverage the new cargo grid and freight elevator features. The development of a new cargo and escort-focused dynamic event began. Here we go. Blockade Runner will replace Ninetales Lockdown, keeping its strengths and removing its weaknesses by using new features and proven designs. There you go. So one of the biggest drops in this uh, report is they're replacing a dynamic event with Blockade Runner. Work was completed on the ship cover-up mission suite. This entails scraping the hole off a criminal ship to make it unidentifiable to the approaching security forces. The team was also tasked with turning the new player experience into a modular mission that can be run in any location with the correct setup. For combat missions, most quantum travel capable ships were added to the pool that missions can spawn from. However, some that don't make narrative sense weren't added. For example, criminals won't use the Drake Cutlass Blue. Yes, so the Cutlass Blue is a um, kind of a, a police vehicle. It's got little cells in the back that you can put prisoners in. Of course, a criminal is not going to be flying a police car. As part of this work, the game ships were divided into difficulty bands derived from data mentioned in last month's report, which was gathered from pitting every ship against each other 1,000 times. So this, uh, it's funny, I, I immediately thought of Amazon when it, dividing into difficulty bands. So what you're doing is you're blocking, like you're taking a subset of data and you're putting them into categorical groups. So like band A, band B, band C, and then you're evaluating the band as opposed to the actual individual ship, right? We do this in glance views when you're talking about marketing. You have an item that gets a certain number of likes and attention. Well, 
instead of looking at millions of ASINs or millions of UPCs on the Amazon website, you divide it into groups and you call them bands. Well, this is glance view band alpha, glance view band Bravo. And you take that and it's easier to evaluate chunks. So speaking my language, awesome CIG. And then the second piece, gathering information from pitting every ship against each other a thousand times. I love it. Trial and error. <laughs> Trial and error. A technical design document was completed for the system that governs players, uh, player reputations with in-game orgs, uh, such as Crusader Industries or Ninetales. This relates to things players can do outside of missions, such as killing org members or revive uh, rival players. Gameplay features also made improvements to the Defend Korea mission, including splitting trespasser tracking between the station's interior and exterior to help players better understand where to search. Quote, we are also prototyping a means to take the turrets temporarily offline and do a momentary ping on intruders, which may or may not be used. End quote. Mission features team. Work continued on the data heist, retrieve consignment, and ship escort missions alongside the ship trespass feature. Finally, mission features worked with actor features to get the ledge grab. Yep, to get the ledge grab feature enabled in the persistent universe, seeing it through the QA, uh, its quality assurance, and go no go processes. This feature allows players to grab onto ledges while in mid-air, significantly improving climbing and allowing players to reach ship entrances that weren't previously out that were previously out of reach. They also made a pass on the prison escape mission uh, alongside the USPU team to ensure the new feature could be used to its fullest. Okay, so I have an actual in-game story about this. I was what was I flying? MSR. So I was flying the uh, Mercury Star Runner. I flew it into uh, the ground garage on Hurston, so our Lorville. So Lorville, if you actually head off to the right on the edge of town, um, the ground garages are there. So it's a good way to like land, onload, or onboard, you know, a um, um, Gray Cat or a Tumbler Cyclone. Um, but <laughs> when I landed for some reason, it was just off enough where I could not get my cyclone up onto the ramp. And then I couldn't even get back into the MSR because of the gap between the ground and where the, the ramp was or where it left off. So I, I basically had to re, I had to go into the garage. I had to stow my cyclone i had to go back to the um to the airport or spaceport and i had to load up my msr just to call it back out again very frustrating but this solves for that if it can define that garage or that ramp as a ledge then i could have easily just kind of jumped up into the garage went to the front of the msr and been able to appropriately land so kind of a kind of a frustrating dynamic of of what should be fixed. If you're able to climb like the cave missions, you're able to climb up and down like ledges in the cave missions. I feel like my character should be able to jump and climb into their MSR. All right, let's see where we are. We're on the graphics, visual effects, programming, and planet tech. 
Boom. Here we go. About halfway through, guys. <clears throat> June saw the Planet Tech team wrapping up their latest tools and working on their new water system. Water ripples can now be simulated across region borders and further reworks to render code integrations with planetary atmospheric passes made the process smoother. Quantum obstacles for generic shapes were also physicalized and passed to the engine team for integration. The graphics team spent part of the month fixing bugs, improving the render thread and developing the upcoming temporal upscaling system. For global illumination, a ray tracing prototype is now in progress and work began on screen space probes. Screen space shadows are now more consistent and canvas decal streaming issues were resolved. Gen 12 and Vulcan also received various bug fixes uh, that can that impacted rendering and streaming performance. The GPU resource lifetime was restructured and WAW hazards for render graph deferred execution uh, are handled more efficiently too. The first iteration of entity spawning based on mesh setup and CGAs was submitted, which is required for Maelstrom. Alongside the UI Tech and Squadron 42 teams, graphics improved the performance and visual quality of the area map That'll be nice, that'll be fun. Uh, but the visual quality of the area map. The interior and FPS mini maps now use the render layers feature, which can now be applied to CGA joints, skin, and CGF attachments. Incorrect UI edge cases were also resolved and now scale correctly with scene exposure. The visual effects team enabled DataForge to support particle library groups in preparation for the upcoming changes to weapon effects setups. A crash impacting fire related child effects was fixed, and an entity wide burn state can now be applied that uses dirt parameters and object temperature to determine damage and glow. Glow uses a specific shader from permanent effects for game wide consistency. Lightning was also improved. For example, lightning cascades can be timed with a new controller, and ship shields now trigger when struck by lightning. I think the only reaction I have to that whole section was was the lightning piece. I'm trying to think of, at, at least in Stanton, where do we see lightning? And maybe it's not out in the game yet, but I would love to hear like in the comments um, or email me, but I would love to hear where we think lightning already is in the game. Like we have volumetric clouds. Like we have... I would I would call them storms, but very dark atmospheres. Uh, but I don't remember ever seeing lightning. But when that does launch, I think that's going to be a beautiful addition to the game. Like I, I imagine flying into Arcorp or Area 18, uh, that's already very thick with the volumetric clouds. How awesome it would be to fly through just a an electrical storm. That'd be, that'd be gorgeous. All right. In-game branding, Montreal. Last month, branding worked closely with EU Locations 2 on navigational signage for New Babbage and began building various artwork assets for an upcoming event. They also progressed with artwork for Pyro, including the final touch-ups on navigational signage for Ruin Station. The branding team began work on the underground facilities as well, which, by the way, you're going to see UGF... UGF stands for Underground Facilities, which involved creating different mock-ups for the commercial lobbies. 
the Interactables team. Throughout June, the Interactables team explored new ideas for props that haven't been seen in the verse before. They also created new flare items for subscribers. Which, by the way, again, Interactables team, thank you for July's flare. I love you guys. <laughs> Let's move on. Lighting. The lighting team continued to work on outposts for the pyro system, helping to sell the wilderness fuel. They also worked on several other initiatives for pyro alongside the locations team. The Montreal Live Tools team. Now we're moving quickly. In Montreal, the Live Tools team entered the analytics phase of the usability research done last month. When complete, the team will establish an action plan that will determine their next priorities in improving the usability of the HEX Networks Operations Center. Quote, This month also marked a great milestone, with the team shipping one of the key features that will provide more support to persistent entity streaming technology. This new versatile tool will allow the users to have an overview of the different entities in the game. End quote. Live Tools team. Very good. Locations. Last month, the EU locations team progressed with closing out rooms for Rundown Station. Quote, the station has... Mm, let me back up. Quote, the station has had some great TLC, and we hope players will enjoy exploring these new areas. EU locations team. They also completed tasks for an upcoming event before beginning various new projects. The Sandbox team closed out Pyro's outposts and moved on to planetary distribution work break i think here in my notes is when i called out so much movement has been done on pyro i'm seeing closing out rooms for rundown station um, closing out outposts and moving on to planetary distribution work like i'm seeing a lot of things getting buttoned up for pyro and that is what leads me to believe that citizen kind is gonna have this like announcement right Back to the article. Development of the underground facilities continued too, with the team exploring new ideas and further expanding these already considerable locations. The organics team continued cloud development for planets and worked on new and interesting flora that players will find in Pyro. Let's keep going. Narrative. June saw the narrative team further developing and populating Pyro. Here we are. As a lawless system, it presents a lot of interesting opportunities for the team to explore how existing game systems may change and take on new nuance. The team worked on further outlining mission uh, content and providers, refining the unique food options that will be available at some of the remote space stations, and detailing signage and graffiti that will be placed around various locations. Narrative also continued their final push toward the release of Alpha 320. This included naming and writing descriptions for numerous assets, reviewing new text for gameplay features, and further refining new mission content. Additionally, they made deeper dives into an alien species lore as xenolinguistic development continued. I'm interested as to why they didn't specify which alien species. That's interesting to me. Again, it says they made deeper dives into an alien species lore as xenolinguistic development continued. New alien species? I don't know. That kind of points me in that direction. Back to the article. This involved listening to new audio samples and debating which style of speech fits best with the culture and lore. 
Last month also saw numerous narrative content releases, including a Whitley's Guide to the Temporal Cyclone, a special message in honor of Alien Week from the Najazi religion solely, an episode of Star Citizen Live featuring the narrative team, and another batch of Galactopedia entries. Very well. Online services. In June, the online services team completed a major refactor of the inventory system. These changes won't be visible to players, but will touch on every inventory type in the game, with the goal being to address some long-standing bugs and improve persistent entity streaming performance and stability. The team also worked on server and engine site integration for the return of private lobbies in Arena Commander. Lastly, online services fixed various bugs relating to long-term persistence and login issues. That still needs a lot of work, the uh, long-term persistence and login issues. So I'm glad to see that they highlighted or developed or decided the need to speak to that. Research and development. In June, work on atmospheric and volumetric cloud rendering continued. Transmittance profiles and their filter chains were optimized and improved to reduce noise and artifacts in Raymarch results. Further research went into the temporal upsampling of those results to produce a stable and detailed full resolution frame that can be <laughs> that can then be composited into a scene. Systemic services and tools. The Systemic Services and Tools team began planning the required services refactor in support of server meshing. They also began code cleanup and working through tech depth for the Diffusion Architecture and Generic Instance Manager. Additionally, the team supported USPU with bug fixes and integrations toward the MISC Hole C and Cargo feature release. Last two sections. Let's go. Tech Art Animation. June saw tech animation integrate their long-awaiting changes to the DNA system. This enables new head assets and provide a pipeline that will open new ways to author and customize new game content. The team then began new initiatives while they wait for further head art. This included updating the Maya pipeline codebase from Python 2.7 to 3.7 and thoroughly testing it. This was released to the user base in June, with the team currently working through the final bugs. Last section, VFX. The visual effects team <clears throat> increased support for several locations across Pyro, including ruined station interior and exterior, and various derelict settlements and outposts. Due to the modular nature of these locations, time was taken to ensure the artists understood which file level to add effects to. For example, and I found this very interesting. For example, for a food stall, they need to add hot steam effects directly to the stall asset rather than its location. It's interesting. It's interesting, like, I personally don't think of that until I read it. I'm like, oh, that makes total sense why you would do that. The team also supported several new platforms on Orison, including falling and rustling leaves, water fountains, and more. Several ships progressed throughout June as well. All right, that is a lot of information, uh, and I'm glad I'm glad you stuck with me. It is great information, and again, I, I'll say this one more time: if you have any interest in um, gaming the gaming industry the majority of that needs to make sense to you it's got to make sense to you um, and even just being able to speak to it uh, being aware of the implications what what team 
like one team's impact will have on a, a downstream team, it's very important to consider. That's why I like program management, um, project management, program management translates so well into the gaming industry because it's a lot of that. It's a lot of headcount, time asset management. So, okay, that brings us to today. <laughs> we're now we're now to the foundation festival. So we've got the foundation festival, and then we'll end with the jump point um, kind of roundup, if you will. So the foundation festival. Let's get into the whole, just the whole thing. <laughs> Here we go. Um, so here's the main page. And again, everything you ever see um, on my podcast is basically from the website. So if you go to the comms link, it's one of the top you know, items here, the Foundation Festival. So last year, um, this is what I remember from last year. Last year, it was basically a recruiting event. It, you got a... Um, was it a dragonfly or was it a vulture? What was the prospector? I don't know. I can't remember what last year's free um, uh, item was or the ship was. If you recruited somebody, you got a like a lifetime insured ship to fly. And so did the person you recruited. So that's kind of the basis of Foundation Festival. It's getting people involved, um, new recruits, and then those who are currently involved, how do you get them even more involved, right? It's that war, um, like the win back, acquire, retain. It's that whole effort. That's this marketing event, right? How do you get more people? How do you get them back into the game? So here we go. Foundation Festival 2953 is a month-long program to strengthen community spirit around the empire by encouraging its citizens to volunteer with local and imperial organizations. Join us in making the universe a better place for all with a free fly, referral bonuses, and rewards for both veterans and new recruits making use of the guide system. So up to this point, exactly like it was last year. And let me kind of like making this point like throughout this entire presentation. So it is free to fly from now to July 17th. So going to my little doodad over here, um, that is a week and basically a half, um, oh, a week and a half. So Monday the 17th, there you go. So free fly, jump in, invite your friends to play, have a good time doing it. And if you're inviting your friend to do it, volunteer to be their guide. There's some rewards that comes with it. So the guide system, Guides are experienced players that accompany new recruits on their first steps into the verse, showing them the ropes and how to survive the dangers of Stanton. During Foundation Festival, both the guides and the new players can fly away with exclusive rewards just by participating. Learn more by clicking this. If it was like last year, the user interface basically is uh, the guide will volunteer to guide for this time, so it's you know 10 p.m. on a Thursday night. I'm going to say I'm going to guide for this hour. And so I will put myself into guide mode. And then a new player can elect um, can elect into the guide system, but like as a recipient, right, as a client of the guide system. And we could get paired. So we get paired and they get to choose kind of what they want to be taught. So is it how to fly? Is it um, first person shooter kind of combat experience? Um, missions, trade, and, and if you cover 
all of these items at the end of the session, the client can go in and say, yes, this guide was really awesome and they helped me with XYZ. Then you get credit for that XYZ. Now last year it was paint based. So you would get a paint for the arrow or the Valkyrie or um, I mean any of these other ships, right? The prospector and it was green and green and chrome was really beautiful actually from a lot of the ships was very beautiful so i'm pretty sure that's what it is this year again the same year over year it looks like the paint if i'm going through the website and i'm scrolling down it looks like the paint is still the same it's the foundation festival kind of green and and chrome so here's the article exclusive guide systems and rewards everyone who uses the guide system during foundation festival will receive exclusive in-game items from character clothing to weapons and ship paints don't miss your chance these rewards are exclusive to this event learn all the details of this year's offerings by clicking guide system rewards all right community resources one big happy galaxy looking for tutorials the star citizen community posts a wide range of tutorial videos link to go there plus new recruits can find their feet in the dedicated new player chat the perfect place to meet and plan first adventures together during the entirety of the foundation festival that's cool um that's actually really neat so this chat is only available to new players who join between may 19th through july 31st i think that's new i didn't see that last year but a specific spectrum chat um that's that's actually brilliant and I actually think we need a Spectrum chat for those going to CitizenCon, like VIP and general access, like I, just like together, not separate, but together, so that we can talk about like things to do before and after, you know, events. I think more use of the Spectrum chat uh, is is better for the community. All right, and then it goes through like choose your path, and I'm not going to go through it on this podcast, but like it basically gives you what you can do in the game medical missions um salvaging combat uh fueling so like hauling runs so um if you're interested in all that you can totally go into the website and check it yourself i don't think it's worthy of a podcast um slot but then it goes into uh, some new packs or at least discounted packs so what was once 45 65 dollars is now 40 52 dollars um, it's an Aurora MR Foundation Festival pack in the 100, uh, 100i Foundation Festival pack. I would actually honestly save the money and go for the Aurora over the 100i as much as I love Origin. The 100i is like once you get in a 300 series, the 100i is kind of irrelevant. So I personally would skip over the 100i. Uh, and then they're ready for anything career kit. So. All right, so here, here's a little bit of um, controversy for the Foundation Festival this year, is they're putting up gear that you can buy in the store that you can get for free in the game and for pretty damn cheap. So we'll go over some of that, but like I bought the, um, I bought the, <laughs> I bought the Valkyrie and the Valkyrie War Bond Edition includes, you know, several FPS items, so gear and, and whatnot, backpacks. But each one of those you can get for like, I don't know, altogether 20,000 UEC. So why would you spend real money for that? Um, anyhow. <laughs> 
alongside of that, you get access to 12 vehicles to purchase. These are 12 additional vehicles that aren't normally in the pledge store. We're gonna go quickly through those 12. The 600i Touring for $435. The Caterpillar for $330. The Cutlass Black for $110, which is gonna be your best bet. Like if you have $110 to spend, the Cutlass Black is hands down, still to this day, one of the best ships in the game. You can do any mission with it, any combat mission, go get it. The Cutlass Red, now I just bought the Cutlass Red today, or I, I melted, what did I melt? I melted like an X1 Velocity, one of the origin like speeder bikes. I melted that so I could have the lifetime insurance and applied it towards the Cutlass Red. Um, the Cutlass Red, and and somebody, I, I, I welcome you to put something in the comments or to email me to name a better dropship. I think the Cutlass Red is hands down the best dropship in the game for the current condition of the game. So no, you can't put a Nova tank in the back like you can a Valkyrie. Um, but it has two medical beds and you can stuff a crap load of people inside of the Cutlass Red. Three beds that you can log out of and it's got the versatility of a Cutlass series for $135. So again, Cutlass Red, um, that, that is a solid ship to go to and that's why I bought it. The Freelancer, uh, this is just the base Freelancer, $110. The Gladius, which is still to this day, um, the Meta fighter ship, the Solo fighter ship, so Gladius, $90. The Mercury Star Runner, one of my favorite ships in the game, $260. The Prospector, which is your kind of solo um, mining ship. So there you go, $155. The Razor, that is a MISC Razor, and it's a racing vehicle. Um, so if you want to get into competition racing, $145. The Starfarer. Uh, okay, so the Starfarer is like one of the largest ships in the game at this current moment for $300 and it's basically a refueling resupply ship. But that functionality is not really necessary in this current moment. Um, I, and if any org organization or org, um, org night or any other organization I participated in, we never needed a Starfarer in our fleet. Um, it will have its purpose. It's not really needed right now. So I don't, foresee that selling much but that's $300 and then the Valkyrie is what I got today as well and that is your drop ship now this to me is the best like dedicated drop ship you can put a Nova tank in the back you can fill up I mean the whole bottom has like several uh, chairs the upper like you climb up the ladder to get to the cockpit that up there has a bunch of chairs and beds so like this is going to be like your massive drop ship to go into jump town or when something else you know um spawns you know in this game this is going to be the drop ship of choice so i had picked up the valkyrie that's 375 dollars the Vulture, this is your single salvaging platform for $175, and that puts us right back to the 600i Touring. So the ship selection is pretty decent. Uh, what I will tell you is, let's just take a look at the Valkyrie real quick. The special upgrade offer, I'm gonna view offers. 
um, this uh, this additional um, item. So it comes with career kits. So some of these ships that are war bonded come with a career kit. So let me just read this. Perfect for the aspiring fighter, this pack features the daunting dropship, yes, along with everything you need to kickstart your exploits in professional violence, including a full armor set, an undersuit, a P4AR Night Stalker rifle, which you can get easily in the game, and a classic Gemini L86 sidearm. So, and I want to say like the under uh, the armor set is the singular, the Orc MX singular singularity um, armor. So again, I I don't necessarily see the uh, the appeal with the extra or the career gear that you could just buy in game. I'm gonna keep screen sharing because we're gonna go straight through the Foundation Festival like articles and there's like four of them so this was the first one this was the main one the rest is going to go pretty quick so here is the free fly referral bonus and for this year it's the gray cat stv um there's racing now so this actually makes sense to me um there's racing like i know orison has that racing um uh track that you can take the gray cat to so the gray cat stv i i can totally i can totally see it um, but that is it for this. And you and your recruit gets the vehicle. So I just want to be very clear about that. Um, so everybody, everybody gets it. You and the recruit. So there you go. Let's move on to the, uh, the organization spotlight. So there are a couple of weeks ago, they asked organization leaders to kind of produce a visual on who they are and what they can provide newcomers. And so they chose the top 40, uh, CIG chose the top 40 organizations. And so if you're interested in joining an organization, you're able to join, I think it's still up to five. Um, so beyond just sole provision, which is the best organization in the game, <laughs> um, you can choose four other organizations to be a part of. Um, and there you go. Here's a huge list of, of organizations that you can join. Last but not least, the Foundation Festival also came with announcement, um, which has a lot to do or a lot of the same information with a little bit more of like additional details. Um, but I wanted I wanted to at least I wanted to at least read this. So <clears throat> for every weekend during Foundation Festival, July 7th through 10th, July 14th through 17th, July 21 through 24, and July 28 through 31, will additionally reward one unique armor and weapon set to both the guide and the recruit, completing at least three successful sessions each weekend. A total of four unique sets are available as a reward. So I wanna say this is new. Um, last year, if you did your guide minimum i hate saying that but if you did if you did what was required of you and you got all your additional assets there wasn't like a reason if that was if that was your reason there wasn't a reason to continue doing it right a lot of people went in they got their items and they called it uh, an event and they did go back and do the guide this is convincing or encouraging people to continue going through the event which is i think is a marketing 
it's a very good marketing move um, to put an incentive on getting back out there every weekend, right? So that's the Lodestone armor, the Archangel armor, the Canuto armor, and the Rhyme armor. So it's a very, very awesome set. You can also buy that for like 50 bucks. Um, all three, all four of those. Um, it's actually the set. It's the set you can get for 50 bucks. Or you can just guide new players and get it for free. So there you go. <laughs> so the Foundation Festival, again, from now to July 17th, it's going to be fine. This, check your ego at the door. This is not the time for you to run around an orbital station and talk crap to a new player. Like, please represent the community with respect and dignity. Um, remember what it was like when you first joined and try to make the experience for the new the new player even better this is your time to do that so please represent um re represent us well my my plea to you as you guide new players into the verse all right jump point here we go so i'm gonna go ahead and just maximize everything uh, i'm gonna get us into jump point all right, so jump point 1103 dropped last Friday, and I think this is a really good way to wrap up the podcast. Um, again, kind of a funny story back at the Austin Bar Citizen. I had the chance of winning like the third issue of Jump Point, the physical copy, and I listed only the four alien races and not the six that were required. So that's, that's a little frustrating, but I am a huge, huge, huge fan of the jump points. It's something over and above that CIG is doing that I don't think anybody else, any other studio has done. Um, I, I truly don't. And again, email, drop in the comments if, if I'm not aware uh, of a game that's doing this. But jump point is an opportunity for teams to highlight their work that are of interest to the gamer, right? So in this edition, you've got a Arena Commander 1.5, which is a reason why they're not calling it a 2.0, but 1.5, all the additions and the why behind the Arena Commander updates. Then they're gonna go behind the scenes with a Tumbral Storm, some really cool images, really cool uh, background to the vehicle. The lore feature, the known Xi'an timeline, and then the portfolio of the Mirai Fury or the Mirai series. So we're going to cover the last two for sure, the lore feature and the portfolio. But let's just go quickly through these images and kind of what to expect. So jump point from the cockpit is usually like a larger narrative. It's like a, it's like a, a executive summary if you're from the corporate world. It's like an executive summary of what to expect uh, in the jump point. Again, I would take all these photos. If I had this in a book, it'd be a coffee table book for me for sure. Uh, but in development, Arena Commander 1.5, it puts some backstory to it. Uh, it's been around for years. Why update it now? What are the main goals for Alpha 320? Um, this, this kind of explains the why, which is what drives me. It's why I'm so focused on the development and what CIG is bringing our whole generation. It's giving us a glimpse of like behind the curtain for a gaming industry that we don't normally get. And so that's it's both a blessing and a curse. And I'm sure CIG uh, can tell you more than I can, but I'm sure it's a blessing and a curse at the same time because 
questions get asked and of course you're not acquiescing my every desire so you know you're not doing the right thing that can be very frustrating right for a, a developer so here we go moving on so we got experimental modes, kind of what we're thinking about doing with it. Um, stage one, which is the 1.5, going into stage two, plan for delivery. Long term, give us a hint about stage three. So kind of where we're going, the so what factor, what to expect as these um, these late, the latest maps and the gameplay features are released. So Arena Commander gets a huge spot in the um, in the jump point. And then it goes behind the scenes to the Tumbrel Storm. Now this is mainly pictures. But it, this actually, it's almost convinced me, it hasn't, <laughs> but it almost has convinced me uh, to invest in uh, in this ship because it looks it looks amazing. But again, it gives the background of the Temporal Storm, where it came from, where it's going, why the Temporal Storm. Um, but here you go. It is definitely a solo tank. And it just looks amazing. So I'm just going to go through the photos real quick. Some uh, white box, gray box, some 3D rendering, right? Some beautiful, it actually has, um, it has some of the uh, gray cats, right? Um, or the, uh, the cyclones next to it. So you can get that kind of idea or that picture of just how big it is, right? Some pictures of the Nova, right? Moving on. All right, actually, those are other concepts, but basically the size of the Nova. I love the backing, like it almost looks like the Scorpius, uh, Scorpius backing or even like the, uh, the ventilation of the MSR. It's kind of got that scaled or that rigid um, spine to it. I love it. Beautiful, beautiful. Alrighty. So this is, again, just more about the development, the stages it took, how they're developing it, where they're seeing it going, different paint schemes. So there's a really awesome black and red. There's a there's your nine tails kind of blue and purple lighting uh, scheme. Some pretty cool ideas coming out of that. All right, and then it gets into here on page 32. It gets into the actual story. So just the first paragraph following the discovery of the Elysium system in its hostile native alien species in 2541 humanity was drawn into what would ultimately be known as the first Devaran war so then it goes through some story about the war and then the subsequent centuries after that and how it evolved and that puts us into the known Shion timeline so the alien races to me um, even though I got that damn question wrong, <laughs> the, the alien races to me are super interesting and it's driving a lot of my lore interest on like where they're coming from, why they are the way they are, whether they're, you know, amiable or whether they're hostile. Um, I love reading about kind of their structure, their political systems, how they view war, right? It's just very interesting. So, the earliest, uh, first off, a couple of acronyms, and I loved how they did this. So BCE, that's Bravo Charlie Echo, stands for Before Common Era. The SEY, Sierra Echo Yankee, is Standard Earth Years. And the MXY, the Mike X-Ray Yankee, is the Modern Xi'an Year. So there you go. The timeline has us going back to 26, oh good lord. Uh, 2638 
26038. That's not even like an actual year. That's BC. <laughs> that is BCE. But that's the first space travel. Uh, actually, that's going to have me completely confused. It's before Common Era. That's 26038. That's too many digits for a year. <laughs> Anyways, first space travel, the Great Divide Civil War. Let's get into the Great Divide. Millennia of Machiavellian scheming, political intrigue and skirmishes amongst powerful Xi'an houses finally erupt into all-out war. Every corner of the empire is threatened as smaller houses, bound by myriad alliances and agreements, are pulled into the conflict. 19770 BCE, loss of homeworld. When the most powerful Xi'an houses agreed a peace talks on Rai Xi'an, or Hyotun III, the weakened house closes an opportunity and hacks several antique weather manipulation satellites to poison the host city's air. Good God. However, the command is accidentally extended to the planet-wide satellite network, contaminating their entire home world. Millions die and the survivors are forced to settle on nearby planets. Yeah, that's uh, that's one of those, like, effing around and finding out. <laughs> Whoops. Right, you try to assassinate an entire, you know, section or entire, like, house, and you end up wiping your entire homeworld. That sucks. All right, here we go. Uh, let's see, 19668, Reflection in First Imperial Age. The tragedies of the Great Divide force the houses to reassess their culture, they reset their calendar to I.O. Okay. They reset. Oh, that's probably 1.0. They reset their calendars. Yeah. To calendar to 1.0. Create the silver service. Establish a new capital on Kaua, Hyotan 4. And elect House Rua to serve as the first imperial house. Rua recommit themselves to an ancient code of ethics called Litova, which becomes widely adopted by others. 878 BCE, Second Imperial Age in Kefa Gardens. The First Imperial Age ends with the death of Emperor Rua in 1.14680. The planet-wide sacred gardens on Raipuang, or Kefa 2, are built in commemoration and become the spiritual center of the Xi'an. A leader of House Zio, or Shio, ascends to Emperor, and the Second Imperial Age begins. 291 BCE, first contact with Karthok. So here we go. Karthok is one of the alien races that I forgot to name. So there's your fifth one. Um, Hadation is the sixth. But 291 BCE, the first contact with Karthok. Xi'an make first contact with the Karthok. All right, now we're into the standard Earth years. So 351 standard Earth year or 1342 standard Earth year, the Spirit Wars. The spirit, war, the spirit Wars were an interconnected series of massed conflicts between the Xi'an Empire and the Kathak that spanned centuries and had profound effect on Xi'an society. Specifics of the conflict remain a mystery of humanity, including how it started and how it ended. 1305 Standard Earth Year End of a Second Imperial Age the Kurthok carry out an orbital bombardment of the Sio Shio estate during a massive family celebration. 
goodness. For one of the house's great matriarchs, the attack is timed to coincide with incursions against other family members not present at the celebration. When the dust settles, Emperor Zio and her entire lineage are killed, ending the Second Imperial Age. Man, this is a this is a dark past. <laughs> Which, ironically, the next session is called the Dark. So, 1305, standard Earth year, the Dark. Following the sudden eradication of House Zio and the Xi'an Empire enters a period with no ruling house known as the Dark. The Spirit Wars, which continue until 11.1735, or 1342 Standard Earth Year, complicate the search for a new emperor. Without imperial leadership, conflict grows between the houses as they vie for control. 1457, the Third Imperial Age. The current imperial age begins when House Cray is selected as the third imperial house. The Cray lineage is, stabilizes and unites society. The Xi'an Empire improves its defenses against the Kathak and begins a new campaign of interstellar exploration. Had to cough that one out. Thank you. 1924. First contact with the Banu. Xi'an explorers discover the Trice system and its inhabitants, the Banu. Unlike the Kurthok, the Banu welcome a relationship with the Xi'an and open trade relations that benefit both species. The Banu are always like the liaisons. They're always the, the glue that kind of holds these cultures together. Like they're nice with the Xi'an, they're nice with the humans. Uh, the Banu seems like kind of the, I don't know, the fun people. <laughs> Uh, they just want to have a party and hang out with everybody. 2530. First contact with humans. A human terraforming company establishes operations on Polis 3, only to discover that it is already inhabited by the Xion. And if you've been listening to this podcast, this was in the earlier podcasts where we talked about the like the capture of the humans. Here you are. 276 human captives are taken hostage by the Xion, who fear further incursions into their territory. Following 57 days of tense negotiations, all hostages are released unharmed. 2793, Cold War with Humanity. Following the tense Polis III standoff, an extended period of strained relations breaks out between the humans and Xi'an. The Perry Line, a string of no-man land systems, is created to act as a buffer between the two species. 2643, Current Emperor Cray Crowned. After the death of his aunt, who died without sisters, daughters, or nieces, Dwayne Sacre is crowned emperor of House Cray. Without a legitimate heir, the Third Imperial Age will end when he dies. So this is a culture thing, uh, a Xi'an culture thing. Women are the leaders. So a woman and uh, like a mother and her daughter, um, you know, they say nieces, it, it, women lead the, the Xi'an tribes. It's not that the the males can't it's just they can't pass down the lineage so once that male dies that's the end of that lineage so the third imperial age will end when he dies there you go all right couple more 2681 awareness of the vanduul vanduul or the pain in everybody's ass right now <laughs> the xian empire discovers the existence of the vanduul species due to its ongoing conflict with humanity 2789, the Ocari Cray Treaty. 
Emperor Cray and Terran Senator Terrence Ackery meet in secret on Toe Hill 3 and sign a peace accord. The ruling Messer regime refuses to recognize the agreement, but its existence symbolizes the thawing of tensions between humans and Xi'an. 2792, the fall of the human Messer regime. Human revolutionaries that found safe harbor in Xi'an systems quickly returned to the UEE to aid the revolution against the Messer regime. Officially in 2793, peace with humanity. Xi'an and humans signed the Perry Line Pact, which divides the Perry Line systems between the two empires. Travel and business between the two are permitted, and the two species are officially at peace. 2910, this is where we get our MISC ships. Partnership with MISC. MISC signs a historic Lindley's agreement with the Xi'an, which promotes the flow of ideas and tech between both sides. Subsequent MISC ships, including the Freelancer, Reliant, Razor, and Fury, will all feature Xi'an influences and or tech. And last, 2947. Uh, this is two years after the events that start Squadron 42. The Human Xi'an Trade Initiative or the Huxa, H-U-X-A. Xi'an and humans sign a human-Xi'an trade initiative to further promote trade between the two empires. It loosens restrictions on the export and import of goods and makes it easier for Xi'an houses and human corporations to do business with one another's borders. So I, again, like I said, the alien races are going to be super interesting. And like the, the benefit of a space game is it's infinite. Like what you have in Stanton as the alien races might be different than the pyro alien races um, and the gangs. And like the narrative team has literally nothing but time <laughs> to, to write their lore and to write their stories. So unlike, you know, New World that's like captured by a continent or like an island or unlike world of warcraft that can really only go so far and in fact the lore kind of keeps them within a bubble star wars it the lore keeps them within a bubble this narrative team is going at this whole story from scratch and they're able to pull and create whatever they desire and i think that's an awesome opportunity that i know they're aware of Last, let's get into the portfolio of the Mirai. Super interesting. I tried flying the, the Fury. I think the Fury MX, which is what you see pictured here with the um, like the, the screen visor over the cockpit. Uh, the MX is probably my favorite. It's a missile payload. It's phenomenal. Um, I just, I could not get over, and it's a snub ship. I, I get it. I'm going to get hate for this. I, I know it's a snub ship. Uh, but you need to mature the tools to spawn a ship within a ship first. Because getting a Mirai onto a MSR or three or four of them onto a Carrick, that's going to take 30 minutes to an hour to do in-game. Whereas if you could in a terminal, if you could call a ship that has sub-ships in it, now you've got me on board. I will buy myself my fury. Like I'll get back into the, into the pledge. Um, it's a badass ship. It's amazing. It's a lot of fun to fly as well. I just had to melt it. So all right, the Mirai. Let's get into the portfolio. When the Misk CEO Irina Agel Arge 
first saw the Fury prototype, she spent over an hour slowly circling the ship and assessing the compact finger from every fighter from every angle. Good Lord. Quote, it feels both distinctly MISC and something all of its own, she told the MISC board. I'm convinced we should make it, but I don't think MISC should. With those words, Ajay proposed a solution to a debate that had bitterly divided the company's board of directors between members who believed MISC should focus on industrial ships and those hoping to expand the brand. CEO Ajay had never taken a side until the day she proposed a solution that would satisfy both the creation of the sub-brand Mirai. And again, just quickly, um, it's like the SVT for Ford vehicles, like the SVT Raptor, the SVT Cobra. It's a it's still Ford, but it's a special vehicle team. This is kind of Mirai or the MISC's version of a special vehicle team called the Mirai. Back to the article. Meaning future in Japanese, the name Mirai honors the settlers of Centauri, home of the MISC's headquarters, and embodies its goal of creating the next generation of ships. The creation of a sub-brand also allows MISC to retain its cherished industrial identity while providing the company an outlet for experimentation. IJ argued that the Fury should launch the sub-brand and convince the board by showing them what the Fury team was working on. Next, the creation of the Mirai sub-brand shocked many within the industry and marked the most significant change to the company in decades. Beyond industry, MISC may be known for its industrial ships, but its desire to develop other variants goes back to 2833. Less than 20 years after the merger that created MISC, CEO Corey Desmond pushed the company to expand its portfolio. The success of the whole series provided financial stability and budget surpluses that Desmond wanted to invest in ships that took the brand beyond the industrial sector. Yet a coalition of board members believed in staying laser-focused on industrial ships and forced Desmond to scale back their ambitions to a single design team working on a dedicated racing ship. The result would be Daedalus. Daedalus was developed from the ground up to be an extremely fast, high-performance ship that could endure the rigors of racing. An impressive prototype inspired MISC to sponsor a racing team and share its tech with them as opposed to releasing the ship itself. The design team disagreed with this decision, but company executives convinced Desmond that a dedicated racing team would provide insights and experience their own designers lacked. While the ship impressed racing fans, Daedalus continually failed to qualify for the professional division of the Murray Cup, a goal that Desmond knew needed to be accomplished in order for the ship to get mass-produced. Experimental materials and production techniques used on Daedalus meant MISC's existing production lines couldn't be used to manufacture the ship, so state-of-the-art production facilities would need to be constructed. Though Daedalus was floundering, the board still considered the racing team a great marketing tool and continued to sponsor it. Desmond officially designated the team that built Daedalus as MISC M and assigned it to be the liaison between the racing team and the company. While delivering upgrades for Daedalus became part of MISC M's working orders, the division was also directed to produce innovative and imaginative new ship designs with no mandate to keep them industrial. Most of these designs would remain theoretical, and the division's minuscule build budget was almost exclusively reserved for testing Daedalus improvements. 
By now, the division carried a reputation as brief as being where inexperienced designers learned and old designers faded away. In reality, it became a training ground where youngsters honed their craft under the tutelage of veterans who enjoyed the freedom of exploring unique and unusual designs. Decades of, cons- of constant tinkering on Daedalus increased the ship's performance, with it ultimately graduating to the Murray Cup Professional Division in 2898. The Misk Racing Team <clears throat> has been a regular qualifier ever since. Misk M also developed and carefully cataloged thousands of designs for everything from full ships to components to ship furnishings, but it never ushered any new ships into the prototype phase. Instead, any interesting ship directions were reassigned to other teams where they were molded to acceptable MISC parameters or eventually scrapped. Every few years, some members of the board would argue for shutting down MISC M or folding it into another division, but the majority continued to support its mission. This deep well of innovative and unorthodox ideas would become more important than ever when MISC signed the landmark Lend Lease Agreement with the Xion in 2910. Last page, Alien Influence. Following the agreement signing, Miss quickly put the newfound wealth of knowledge and resources to good use. The freelancer released in 2915 utilized Xi'an Tech to transform it into the beloved industrial hauler known today. Despite this success, Miss discovered its traditional design team struggled to integrate Xi'an Tech or use its influence to push further innovations. Eventually, the out-of-the-box thinkers in MISC-M were tasked with evaluating the influx of Xi'an ideas and imagining uses for them. The division also combed through its massive design database to see what ideas could benefit from Xi'an tech. The first design pulled was for Daedalus. Much had changed since the original Daedalus, but the team saw massive potential in using Xi'an tech to make it fly faster and be cheaper to manufacture. Further upgrades and innovations were developed, but they remained untested until 2940, when MISC decided to pour more money into its racing operations. The company ended its partnership with the outside racing team and tasked MISC-M with building the new ship. The result was the Razor, which would win the Murray Cup Classic race in 2945, the year of Squadron 42, thanks in part of the piloting heroics of Trevor Eumann. Upon its release in 2947, the ship sold extremely well and received rave reviews. The Razor's commercial and Murray Cup success, combined with the triumphant launch of the Reliant a year earlier, convinced MISC to continue developing bold new ships. The company dramatically increased the funding and staffing levels of MISC-M and directed the team to develop the ideas that excited it the most. Over the following years, CEO Ajay took great interest in MISC-M and frequently visited the division to check on its progress. She encouraged it to embrace MISC values but but refresh the aesthetic. Meanwhile, Ajay told the board that the division had the potential to significantly boost company revenues. Insiders believe she she long wanted to make the division its own sub-brand, partially to enshrine its mission in ships as distinctly different from MISC, but didn't want to reveal her plan until it produced a second signature ship. The Fury would be that ship, and inspired CEO Ajay to unveil her master plan. Once approved by the board, the company also decided to make the Razor part of Mirai. 
It might have been released under MISC, but the ship's history within the division and its ties to the original Daedalus made an ideal fit. What comes next from MISC's performance sub-brand remains a mystery to anyone outside the company. Rumors claim that the Marai will push the integration of Xi'an Tech to bold new levels, leaving ship enthusiasts and competitors in eager anticipation of what will come next. What a full episode. <laughs> we covered a lot. We covered a lot today. Um, and I hope this has found everybody well. Uh, this has been episode 16. Uh, I hope everybody enjoys the Foundation Festival. Again, we are not going to be producing an episode next week due to Amazon's Prime Day, uh, where I'll be engaged in that matter. But we will be back in two weeks for episode 17. So again, like I said, I hope this finds everybody well. Safe travels as you traverse in the verse. You've been listening to Beyond the Verse, Star Citizen podcast with your host, Solus. Join our in-game organization, Soul Provision, by applying at www.robertspaceindustries.com forward slash orgs forward slash provision. You can get involved in the conversation with your questions, comments, or emotional outbursts by emailing us at starcitizenbtv at gmail.com. Watch us live on Thursdays, 8 p.m. Central at youtube.com forward slash at starcitizenbtv and follow the conversation over at Twitter and Instagram both at forward slash star citizen BTV. Once again, thank you for joining us. We hope this finds you well. Until next time, safe travels as you traverse beyond the verse.